Welcome to Learte dell'Arme, the Bolognese podcast where we discuss the intricacies of the Bolognese tradition with the practitioners, translators, authors, and teachers working to bring the art back to life. Today's guest is Stephen Freitas, translator of the Anonimo Bolognese with Malison Cunning, anonymous 16th century manuscript on Bolognese swordsmanship. Stephen has been practicing Western martial arts for over five years with East Bay Historical Fencing in Walnut Creek, California. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Joshua, thanks for inviting me on, man. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great to have you. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and dive right in. And I'm going to ask the question that I think is on everybody's mind, which is what divine muse inspired you to translate the massive tome that is the Anonimo Bolognese? All right. All right. I'll answer that. But first, I want to say the one thing that popped into my mind when you said that, which is the big question on everybody's mind is why isn't everybody doing the Anonimo? But we'll that another time. Right, <laughs> I think so they are now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a funny thing. It just kind of happened. Um, so it was 2016. Uh, Ilka had done some translations of the Anonimo. Um, you know, and I was a big admirer of his work. Uh, but, you know, there was, he hadn't covered a lot of it. Um, and I've always been drawn to the small sword and buckler material more than anything else. So I, you know, I kind of thought, well, Let's see it. You know, I don't speak Italian. I don't read Italian, but you know, I mean, it's a language. It can't be that hard to figure out. Right. So yeah. I just, I found the, got the book and I found the sword and small buckler material and kind of went through it. And, you know, um, it turned into English. I mean, and then, you know, it, it was like, I kind of expected to sort of be laughed out of, uh, of the situation, but they were like, no, this is good. This is, this is basically accurate, which, sort of blew me away um and then oh and then you know what happened was is we had a big rainy year that year and my garage flooded and it just never was unflooded and that was sort of my sword practice space so then i started doing some um just because i couldn't practice swords in my sword workout so i thought well you know i might as well at least work on this translation thing and you know, I was kind of thinking, you know, um, all the sword stuff really sort of helped me out when I was maybe not in the best place in my life. And I kind of wanted to give back to the community, you know, to just because I was grateful, man. Um, yeah. And then, um, you know, and then I got enough of it done that I just said, F it, I'm just going to finish this thing. And then um, and then once I decided that I just kind of kept going uh, till it was done. Um, the plays, you know, there's, there's two parts. The plays were not that hard to translate. It's, you know, once you basically have an understanding of Bolognese fencing, it, it, it's not too bad. But the right. introductory section, like, was really challenging. Really challenging. That's the best part. They're, they're all good. But yeah, all right. It, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good information there. Um, you know, there was a lot of errors in the original free translation because um, I hate proofreading and I wasn't going to do it for free. <laughs> um, but then I think it was actually Chris Nolan, I think is with you guys, right? Yeah, he's, he's our head instructor. Yeah, he was like, you know, why don't you turn this into a book? And then, you know, some people who I, whose opinion I, I had uh, great respect for were like, yeah, you need to do that. 
And so I started and then Jarek Swanger just kind of contacted me out of the blue and offered to help. And then it really, nice. really helped a lot because man, that guy is good. And he was extremely generous with his time and his expertise. And, you know, um, it just then kind of happened. I mean, it took a long time, but yeah. So it's a long convoluted story for, I don't really know, it just happened. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a long text, right? I mean, you've got, yeah. I, I can, I, I don't even know how many plays are in here. I, I want to say that there, there have About to be 650. over. 650. I was, I was going to say it has to be over because there are what, 400 single sword plays if you had the yeah, left-handed? 450 of the single sword, I think. Um, and then there's a pretty good section on the sword and target too. And uh, yeah. yeah, you know, over on the, uh, the Bolognese Discord right now, they've been doing an anonymous play a day. <laughs> no fooling. Oh, I yeah. gotta get onto that and check that out. Oh, I didn't, you should. I didn't know there was you absolutely good should. going on on that thing. You know, it was it was dead for a while, and or I mean, not really dead, but I mean, it was just kind of sporadic for a while. But now there's there's a pretty good group on there, and they've been they've been doing a Bolognese play a day, or or I mean, an anonymous play a day, and then um, there's some pretty pretty lively discussion on there. So it's oh, been, well, I gotta, it's been pretty I gotta good. check that out, man. That sounds great. Thanks for the tip, Joshua. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, more into the anonymous. Um, I'm going to sort of pelt you here with some questions. But um, so the first one, because the anonymous is anonymous and there isn't a lot of information available for us to source a potential author, it's rife with possibilities for wild theories. What's your favorite? Ooh, I mean, I've made up some theories that I really like that have zero basis in reality. So I won't quote them just because... <laughs> I mean, they're, they're totally random. Uh, the theory that I like the most as the most interesting theory is that it was actually Manchelino's first book. It was the book that he wanted to write. Um, and then um, he came across the realities of publishing and needed to figure out how to condense what he was doing into a smaller space. And the market was a lot more interested in sword and buckler material than sword alone material. Hmm. So that's, oh, that's interesting i like that one yeah there's a huge huge uh, there's as big of a connection between the the philosophy of manchelino and nonimo as there is between a lot of the german authors and um what's that guy's name you know the big german guy lichtenauer lichtenauer thank you yeah, yeah. no you know I, I i actually find that really interesting because reading so I put to, I put together a lecture for the uh, the Discord group because um, they do like instructor lectures and I was reading through and one of the newer practitioners had asked that my theme for my lecture would be like the general theory of Bolognese fencing. And so um, I was really just pouring through the introductions of the different texts and the two that really speak to the same thing like the two authors that i was quoting the most and and sort of in tandem with one another were the anonimo and, and manchiolino because I mean, they like they say the same hand, thing right hand, dude. they mean, really are totally, yeah they work so well really together hard. even yeah. even like their sword and large buckler plays like you think about or the compare uh manchiolino's sword and large buckler to like the targa plays the way mm -hmm. that he does that sort of deception with the changing step and then back and forth yep. like that's that's the anonymous like bread and butter yeah one of the anonymous signature moves is that reverso into cota lunga de staza cota lunga lunga 
where you then come up with the imbricata and that the only thing I've ever seen equivalent to that is also Manchelino. Uh, but in the like the various little philosophical bits at the beginning, man, it's there's Manchelino and Anonimo say the, the same thing, and that does not appear in the other Bolognese works. Um, but also, if you go through the if you go through the introduction where they're kind of outlining their philosophy, they say the same things. Yeah, no, yeah. they really do. Um, they they, really they do. seem they, like they've got a, a, a shared theme and really kind and of provide a great core. The other works, the other guys have different takes on it. Yeah. You know, I so I, I had a wild theory of my own. I actually, <laughs> I so I actually uh, at one point I took, I asked the Medici archives, to for handwriting samples from Giovanni de Medici, uh, so Giovanni della Bindinari, uh -huh. and I did a, a comparison, a, albeit a very amateur comparison of handwriting samples between the Anonimo, since it's all handwritten and uh, Gio, Giovanni della Bandinari. Unfortunately, uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't work out the yeah, way I wanted it yeah, to. But. I, he doesn't strike me as a writer type. He was kind of a thug, dude. He, uh, he, he totally he was, was a thug, yeah. Jokes, so we're like, ooh, he's all brave. But if he was alive now, dude, we'd be like, that guy's a straight-up thug. He got, like, <laughs> out of Florence, I think, for, like, raping a boy. I mean, he was... He, yeah, he did when he was young, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, not a boy scout by any stretch of the imagination for sure yeah you won't you won't find that in a lot of texts um <laughs> uh, but that information is out there so yeah, yeah. yeah. all right so, so I, you know when i'm looking at the guys who are doing it the one i like to follow is guido rangoni oh yeah he, yeah he was a buddy of morozzo's apparently they probably were studying at the same time and you know he yep. was also another hot-headed italian but he seems to be a little bit more relatable yeah, you know, uh, Giovanni della Bandinari talks mad smack about uh, Guido Rangoni. Oh, does he really? Yes, oh, he does. I bet he does man. Oh, man, he, he's he's like this guy's lazy. His troops are lazy, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself when I'm reading this. I'm like, man, what, that you, you, I like. I think about like Marazzo standing behind like Guido Rangoni, and they're like in this like you know in this camp, and he's just like sitting there like, oh man, I'm gonna kill this guy. <laughs> You know, this is the impression I have is that if you have three Italians, you have two political parties. <laughs> I, I think that is true. Um, you know, I, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have Marino on here pretty soon. And I will <laughs> I will I'll run that by him. I'll see what he thinks about that because I bet you he'll agree. Um, so how old do you think the anonymous is? Where do you think it fits in the timeline of the system? Um, so my less interesting theory that one I think is actually the most plausible is that it's a response to Manchelino's publication in 1522. So okay. that there is a maestro living somewhere, maybe in Bologna, somewhere in Eastern Emilia-Romagna. And um, he got a whole little copy of this book and thought, yeah, this is really good. I agree with a lot, but the guy does nothing with the sword alone. And the sword alone is awesome. And so he decided to do one that focuses on the sword alone. And I bet he was planning to publish it, uh, but then Morozzo's book came out, and Morozzo clearly had bank. Right. He was able to bankroll those pictures, which are extremely expensive compared to just writing things out and printing, you know, and having it printed. Yeah. And then I think he was just like, well, nobody's going to want to buy this because it's got this book with all these amazing pictures. 
Yeah, that, you know, that's and and the fact that he was able to buy a clothing mill, you know, when he retired is is significant. I mean, you think about that sort of investment. I mean, he essentially bought an established business that probably made him a ton of money oh, yeah. when he retired. And so, um, you know, we've got we we have some good nuggets on the fact that Morazzo definitely did have bank. He was he was, and maybe that's from his association with Guido Rangoni. So yeah, I mean, he was clearly connected. Um, you know, and the funny thing about Manchelino is there's no other Manchelino that we can find associated with Bologna. All the only thing I've ever been able to find is a hamlet uh, about 15 to 20 miles west of Bologna named Manzolino, which is the Italian version of it, um, which is probably just where the guy was from. So he probably wasn't wealthy, just like the author of the Anonymo was probably not wealthy. Right. You know, uh, the Palladini actually references Mancilino, but he calls him Mancino. Well, so, you know, that's what I thought, too. Right. So I thought Mancino from Bologna was just Mancilino. Uh-huh. However, I was checking out the Conditiere website. I don't know if you've really spent much time on there. It's awesome. I'll check uh, it out. There was a Condottiere named Mancino from Bologna. Really? Yeah. Who was a famous captain of infantry. Um, huh. So that could also be the Mancino from Bologna of uh, that Palladini references. Interesting, yeah. That that or, makes that you know, makes a lot of sense. He could have just got his wires crossed, right? And was just like he meant Mancino, but Mancino is what came to his name. Interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's it's such a riddle. It is. It is. It's but yeah. it's fun, you know. I mean, that I think oh that's what kind of. Oh, it's, it's so, so much fun. fun. <laughs> I felt I felt so cool when I when I asked the Medici archives for the uh, the handwriting samples. Like I was like, man, if I find this out, this is gonna be so neat. And then yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, dude, it's, it's it's so fun to come across to do some kind of original little tidbit or research piece or something like that. It's such a kick in the pants. It is, yeah. So, all right. So, having read through so many plays, the Anonimo, uh, you probably have the best uh, understanding of the systemic core of the text. Um, what are, what do you think are some of the common tactical elements uh, you were able to pull out along the way? So, um, I've also been teaching from the Anonimo for about four years now, since I kind of had the first working translation. Yeah. So I kind of had a, a sneak peek at it. Um, so the Anonimo is it's brilliant. Um, so this is the basic is to, I think is to know, first of all, are you in Joko Largo or are you in Joko Stretto? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're in Joko Largo, you attack their hands. Unless you have already found their sword and you can safely strike them. Every attack you make should be to their hands or to their, to their sword arm. Because that's the only target that you can hit safely that they can't hit you back. If you're striking at somebody's hands, the way swords work, they can't strike at your hands. And usually in Joko Latigo, that's usually all that is in range. If you're doing it right, you're really focusing on the arm and the hand and only getting a headshot after you've got control of their weapon. Um, if you're in the Joko Stretto, everything is about finding the opponent's sword and then creating and having that little tempo. And that tempo is so tight, so tight and making your strike in that tempo. And again, like Bolognese, 
It's not to hit them with that, it's to force them to go wide and parry so that you then hit them with the cut, which if they parry, you turn into a thrust, which if they parry, and so on. Yeah, I, you know, I keep, <laughs> there's there's a, a paragraph in, uh, in the Anonymous introduction, and I, I keep quoting it. I quoted it in the last podcast, so I'm gonna do it again, just because it is seriously, I think the best advice from any of the authors. Uh, where he says, also, you must know that if you find your enemy in a wide guard, then you'll use your art to bring his sword into presence. If he gain, if he has his sword in presence, then you must, uh, by means of fainting, make him put his sword in a wide guard that allows you to control the line such that his sword will point away from your person and off to the side of your body, and then you will be able to perform whatever action you wish. Right. Like, I, so I feel like it, it's perfect. Like, it is that, that's, the perfect summation of the doing art. wrong, right? Is like, um, well, in my opinion, that they're doing wrong is your strike should always be like a, uh, a glide thrust, a grazing cut. It should be in contact with the enemy's sword as you mm. strike, because that's the only way that you're going to stay safe. Yeah, and that's... so much of what I see are people just, you know, trying to be use speed. And I don't think that, that that's what this is about. Yeah, and I agree. Um, I think that you know one of the one of the things I remember the first time that Chris got his hands on the Anonimo, and then uh, he texted me and he's like, "You you need to read this introduction." <laughs> yeah. And and I remember I remember reading it, and I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Like, where yeah. has this been the entire time? Like. I, I feel like it, it's almost in some ways like a Rosetta Stone because, you know, with with Marazzo and even with Manciolino, um, you have you have white play techniques and then you have strata techniques. Mm -hmm. And this ties it all together. Like yeah. he, he actually shows you how to put it all together where, yeah. you know, they, they treat it as like a separate subject. And I, I just I think yeah, it's you, incredible. You have to really infer it from the Morozzo and the Manchelino, whereas the Anonimo just explicitly states, this is what we're doing. This is what we're all about. You know? yeah. And it, it's just why it's really a canon. You, you can't really study it unless you have all three of them. I agree. Yeah. I, and I think, uh, I think last week, I think Ken kind of agreed with that too, you know, saying, you know, that his answer to my question about which, which is his favorite author, but yeah. um, <laughs> um, he got me, but uh, yeah, I, I just feel like, um, you know, it, but that, I think that's the beautiful thing. I think that's what really highlights the Bolognese system and the fact that it is truly a system. Um, it, and, yeah. and we can, you know, you, you look at the KDF system and you have, this poem from that we attribute to Lichtenauer and then you have the essential you have the sort of notes the items um from all the different you know sub masters yeah. um and they're just kind of interpreting this poem you know it's, it's and, like jazz right like you have a bunch of guys just improving on the <laughs> and you're trying to figure out like music theory from it right it's, yep yep yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, like, the Bolognese, I think, were the first people to stop playing with swords. Yeah, you know, that's, or at that's least really good to point. have a system that's not, like, you're playing with swords, you're now actually able to use this as a real martial art. Yeah, it, it, it reads like... Ruin it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but 
that's it's interesting in that this was an academic center and it, it almost has an sort of an ad- academic approach yeah i mean it's like it's like the the berkeley the boston of europe at that time man i mean i think we forget how since we're so bathed in information we i think we forget just what a paucity of knowledge most places had in the medieval period i mean unless you were talking about how to like grow crops i mean anything out of the extraordinary was just it was so hard to get a hold of you'd have to travel so far you know the people who actually knew things were far apart there was no internet for people to communicate with you know they'd only just recently started printing books which that in itself was like a revolution right yeah. And so, but Bologna was different. Like Bologna was this university that people came from all over Europe to study law, right? I mean, we have, we know people from Germany. We know people who, from France. It was the number one law school in Europe. So they, they had this advantage of everybody bringing their stuff to Bologna, you know, and as we, as we know now, that's how you get excellence is by getting access to the most information possible and then running it through trials until the the best thing emerges, you know? And then the Bolognese just got to be there to record it, man. Yep. All right. So um, this one is is sort of a, a bit of a one-off question here, but uh, and a fun question. Have you tried yeah. all the plays? Uh, almost, yeah. Really? I've probably. Uh, well, at least I've done almost all the plays of uh, Sword Alone for That's the right-hander. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did a lot of them when I was translating it, right? Like, I'd be a little confused as to what was what, so I would work through the play. And then, um, you know, I've been teaching it for four years, and so I have i don't really teach according to the plays. I, I'm always more interested in what the plays represent, because I think that's mm-hmm. what I want to pass on to my students. So you need to really read and do a wide variety of the material to access that. So, yeah, I've done, you know, almost all of them uh, for the sword alone, for the sword and Rotella, for the sword and buckler. I've only got to play around a little with the Polack, sadly. Uh, it's one thing I really want to explore more because the Polack is like stab him in the ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Hey, right. Stab him in the ball again. Yeah. In the soft part, right above his, his testicles. All right. Thanks, Anonimo. Yeah. The subtitle for the Anonymous Bolognese is Stab the Ball. I love it. I love it. All right. So what is, uh, what's your favorite play, do you think? I mean, do you, do you have a favorite play or a sequence of plays that you think are your favorite? Uh, yeah. So... Um, so I kind of see it all as very, uh, what's the word, like an algorithm, mm-hmm. right? And I like the first place, the first play the most because it sets up, it basically lays the foundation for much of the work that follows. Like the anonymous pretty much seems clear. You start an Iron Gate or a Porta di Ferrostrada against your opponent, right? And mm-hmm. you pressure them. You uh, stringere them or stringere them. Right, that's basically how it sees that you start. It says no matter what guard they're in, you can stringere them, right? And everything arises from that. Everything else 
pretty much arises as a reaction to what they do after you have uh, gathered forward and uh, basically made an action on their blade or threatened their hand. Except, I think, for the actions from Guardi di Lian Corno from Unicorn Guard. Um, I think that's the other real starting guard that it, basically, if you have the superior reach over your opponent, you place yourself in the unicorn guard and you start the game with an imbricata to the hand or to their face, depending on where their point is. And that, I think, is the foundation to everything in that book. Everything arises from that. And then the responses that people have from there. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty tall guy. I'm, I'm six foot four. So, oh, wow. um, okay, cool. yeah. <laughs> so like you're even so, above high average height for Hema. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and honestly fighting from Lee and Corno is something that I do really well and it's yeah. something I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I but got a guy for in my group is six, six and he does the same thing. Man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's something about being tall and being in that high guard. It's just so intimidating yeah. and it's so great, but, uh, I think it's what play number 20 or 21. Um, were you in the first one where it's introduced or 22? Let's take a look. Yeah, I think it's 21. Um, but you end up doing that, uh, imprecata to the hand. And then, um, if they, if they void in any way, you get that false edge coming back and then you cut the Mandrito back across their arms. I love that play. It it works. It works so well. It works so good. It works so good. Yeah. It's really frustrating. And it's only, I think it's like somewhere around page 100 or play 100 or something where they actually give you the counter to what to do if somebody's in Unicorn Guard. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, you have to, that's one of the advantages of having spent so much time is like, oh, yeah, I remember somewhere in there, there's the counter to it, right? Yep. Because basically you go into a Dalagoke style Guardi di Testa and then walk in and, Lo and behold, they're imbricata now. Instead of like driving your sword down, just skitters down along your hanging edge. You get to turn your sword over. You don't hit them in that. All you end up doing is getting to the neutral situation. I mean, you could hit them if they're stupid. Uh, yeah. But mostly, you're just trying to get to like, okay, now you're no longer able to just imbricata me to death, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my tall guy, man. He and he's real skinny too. He'll just come in. Come in imbricata. Oh, you back off? Just right back up into the unicorn. Just boom, boom, yep. boom. It is super frustrating, but it, it's great. It's it's great for for taller people. But you know, it's it's funny too because you know that I I think Chris gets frustrated with that. Chris Nolan, my instructor, because I am tall and so I can do these things, and then he tries the same thing, and it's like. Ah, that doesn't work as well for me. <laughs> oh yeah, so I, I totally think that's what's up with Manchelino is like it's uh, in the the sword and small buckler. I think there's a there's a script for the tall guy and then there's a script for the small guy, and it's it's two different styles of fighting, and you just you just have to play to that. Yeah, I I think that's interesting because I think it sets up sort of a theme of, and and I think that's one of the beautiful things too about the Anonimo is you have such a a brevity of plays that you don't really have to worry about, you know, if this doesn't really work for you, there's a ton of other material that you can go with, you know? It's not like Morazzo or Manchiolino where like, if you feel uncomfortable with Manchiolino fighting from uh, Porta de Ferro Strada, you're you're pretty much screwed. (laughs) I mean, there's, (laughs) you know, you don't really have any options. If you feel uncomfortable fighting from Porta de Ferro Strada with the sword alone, man, 
maybe you want to talk your way out of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about you. Um, and yeah. I mean, I, I think I could talk to you about the anonymous all day, but I, I do also hey, want to know a little bit more about right you. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about uh, your martial arts background and uh, how you got started in the Bolognese system. Yeah, man. Um, okay. So prior to 2015, I had never done any martial arts at all. Never had any interest in it. Um, and then I decided I wanted to have a, a sword fighting competition at my birthday party. I was turning 40 and, you know, I wanted to have a good one, right? So I thought, yeah. you know, it would be better than to get all my nerdy friends together and we can all whack each other with swords and, you know, have a prize for the winner, right? And then, you know, I thought, well, maybe I'll just see, you know, th there might be some tips online about how to fight with a sword. And that kind of led me to I-33. And, you know, I started just working through that. And, you know, I, I would think I had an answer and there would just be like a thousand more questions. Yeah. And then somebody was like, you know, maybe you need to have like a, a more of a rudimentary foundation. You check out the Bolognese. So I, I did that. And I read the Bolognese and Manchelino's like, this is where your eyes need to be. This is where your sword needs to be. This is the foot you need to have forward. I was like, forget <laughs> I-33, man. Dude, yeah. these guys are like, I mean, they're, they're practically doing a Ouija board with their interpretations. It's it's crazy. It is I mean, crazy. I mean, you know, I, I know they're doing the best they can with the limited book they have. But I mean, for all we know, dude, the dude who did that was a nutter, right? He was probably, he could have been some drunk <laughs> It just has some crazy stuff wrote down. The Bolognese is like corroborated because it's, you know, there's multiple people there. We know who they were, that they made their living this way, blah, blah, blah. You know, so then I, I was like really into that. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I don't know if you've ever seen Richard Cullinan, uh, his blog. He's got a great blog, renfence.au. Mm -hmm. uh, he had this cool curriculum. So I was kind of able to follow it. And then this is like when Ilka was making a lot of videos too. And that led me to that. And dude, yep. those videos were just awesome. I mean, really awesome. Like he really, you know, he yep. did it in a way that was like really inspiring. You know, and you're like, you look at the long sword guys and you're like, no, nah, you guys are just yep. whacking each other with pieces of steel. Like yep. you can dress it up however you want, but you put lipstick on a pig, you know? And then rapier is just like, two dudes like rubbing their sword <laughs> on each other until one of them gets bored, stabs them, and then the other guy just steps to the side and hits them, right? Yep. And then I watched what Ilko was doing. It was like this whole, you know, the whole body is being moved. Like, it was just awesome. And then it was also just that the Bolognese, it's like this code, right? And it's like getting to try to decrack or to try to crack, decipher this amazing code uh, using your body, which is just incredible. Yeah, Ilka was our sort of father of HEMA, you know? I mean, for yeah. the Bolognese system, I mean, like, he was my first exposure for HEMA. And, okay. uh, like, watching his system, because when I first started, I started out with KDF, um, and then Chris ended up starting the, the Renaissance portion of our our school and and okay. well i mean we kind of had one but it was rapier focused and then he was like ah, i want to do bolognese so we started like this bolognese class yeah. and i was actually one of his first students and, and we we would like i would sit and i would watch ilka's videos and then i would go out and i would try to do them and i would i would try to replicate the forms and everything like that and it was just so inspiring like it was yeah. and it was incredible and i would watch him fight and you know his glove video and and now yeah. like 
I mean, there's so much more material out there, but like, I still like, I feel like, you know, he's, he's the reason why I really got into Bolognese. Dude, I, 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 yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned like trying to copy his forms. I tried doing that. Then I gave myself a concussion, man. I hit the sword. <laughs> Was it with a two-handed sword or the one-handed no, sword? No, it was a one-handed sword, man. Just nice. <laughs> uh, that's like, awesome. For a couple of days, I couldn't understand what my younger son was saying. It was, it was pretty weird. Oh, man, that's, that's brutal. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I think Ken was saying, too, that was kind of one of his big inspirations, too. I think there's, like, a whole group of us that kind of came from that time that were really drawn in by his work. Yeah, because, I mean, it was hard to get the text then, too. I mean, Marazzo hadn't been published. Um, right. Jerick Swinger hadn't uh, published Marazzo yet so that wasn't out um even Delagoke was maybe a little bit before Marazzo and then there was it was pretty much just Mancialino yeah there was just there was Tom's book yeah which you know it's good but they're like synergistic having more than one right they all feed on each other like we were just talking about yeah so of the four core authors uh who's your favorite and why uh yeah so like i said dude that's like asking me to pick which of my children is my favorite yeah right so like um okay i can definitely discard dalagokie like he's just very vanilla and his plays are, are are just kind of like tit for tat they don't really flow so i i can i can throw him by the wayside um, one that's really grown on me is akide marozzo like, I didn't really like Marotto as much when I started, but as I do this, um, I get to really, like, appreciate the way he connects the different pieces, the way that, there, that there's a relationship between the sword and the small buckler and a relationship between that and the two-handed sword and that with the grappling, you know, and also, I mean... Like, let's face it, if you're doing HEMA, if you're trying to run a HEMA club, like you're teaching longsword, and then you're hoping to get some people interested in something else in addition, but you've got to have longsword to have people even come out. And I think Akili Marozzo is the only one who has a viable system for using the two-handed sword. So you really need him. Um, I really, really like Manchelino uh, because this three assaulty for the sword and small buckler are, are what I really learned defense from. I, I, when I learned to do Bolognese from, it's really working through those. They're just amazing. Um, but, you know, ultimately, dude, I've, I've got to say the Anonimo Bolognese. I mean, I spent so much time on that thing. Yep. And the way it connects all the sources into something usable that, you know, ultimately you can just hit somebody with, yep. it, you just can't beat the Anonimo. So I, I think you? what's your favorite? Oh man, uh, my favorite right now is definitely the Anonimo, and I, I I switch back and forth. You know, I've been working the last six or seven months. I've been working on really trying to finish Marazzo's book two. So I've been okay. really going hard on that and uh, and trying to do everything in book two. Um, and it's funny because like just before, I mean sort of in the middle of this i've also been teaching and i started a an online uh sword and buckler class for our students and uh i was teaching Manchilino sword and large buckler mm-hmm. and you talk about like sort of the inter- interrelational sort of uh way that these things kind of 
form together. And after reading Manchilino's Sword and Large Buckler, I went back and I was working on Marazzo's Sword and Large Buckler. And then I started into his target plays because I had done his Sword and Large Buckler <laughs> stuff before. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap. Like you can take bits of Manchilino and you can just, you can, you fill in gaps of Marazzo or you, you could almost string together Manchilino, I guess is a better way to put it, to create Marazzo. It's yeah, like he yeah, gives you, like, yeah, he, he almost gives you like these, he, Manchilino gives you the bricks and Marazzo right. shows you a wall. And yeah, I mean, interesting. I, I, I would think of it another way, but yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, so I was kind of thinking, I think of Marazzo more as like undergrad and then Manchilino as grad school. That's interesting. Well, I, I think that like with Marazzo though, he has like a distinct flow. And so you still have like the individual techniques right. and, and maybe that's, maybe that's Marazzo looking at the forest and Manchilino looking at the trees or, you know, yeah. and, and actually seeing like the individual parts. Um, but because I mean, like you take Marazzo or Michelino's provocations with sword and large buckler. He's doing a falso to the hand and just leaves it at a falso to the hand. But Marazzo is like, all right, now I want you to do that falso to the hand, but I want you to do it three times. And then when they react, I want you to go over with a, you know, I think. Yeah, it's that's a, a good point. That's a good you know, point. Yeah, and, I think Michelino kind of deprecates that falso to the hand. It's sort of like he kind of tucks it in there as like some ugly stuff that you know. Yeah, he says it's unartful. Do. Yeah, he yeah, all of his all attacks. Get them yeah. to attack you, man. He is. He is. I mean, it's it's all about what the that initial provocation of of gathering into measure and then yeah. sort of getting them to react. Um, but the other thing I find interesting. So you you discard. I see. I see the same way though with with Dalagoke. Like I see Dalagoke almost as being a really good fit for, almost being like, a very basic way to understand the anonymo like you could take the very basic actions from dalagoke and then say like this is your core foundation and then take the anonymo and like this is this is your <laughs> now we're going to take it up a notch you know yeah, now we're going to crank it up to 11. i, I kind of think dalagoke would be like the drunk college students notes or the hungover college students <laughs> notes from the professor's lecture <laughs> Oh, see the attack! You can extend your sword. Uh, you can hang your sword. That's good enough, I guess. It's also not super useful, right? Um, so, like, if you're trying to use the defensive, you have to watch. You have to differentiate between whether they're coming in with a thrust and whether they're coming in with a cut, whether it's inside or whether it's outside, whether it's to the leg or whether it's rising, and I mean, I don't know, dude, maybe you're amazing, but I tend to just think like when you're fencing, you pretty much have to, it's an either or kind of thing. You're doing A or B. That's all you really have time to do. And then the anonymous is a lot more just like control and they're attacking either from the inside or from the outside or maybe to your hand. And that's it. That's all you can respond to. If they do something to your leg, you just back up, you poke them in the face. Um, so I, I just find that so much easier to work with. Dalagoki, I can never really put in terms of like, I'm going to use this against somebody who's faster than me, who's a better fencer than me, and who's completely reckless. I would never work for me in a million years. Hmm. I think the one thing that I do want to do from Dalagoki at some point is his jousting. 
Totally, dude. I think that would be so cool. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I draw for him, from him for the sword and his sword and dagger stuff. He's got pretty mm-hmm. good sword and dagger stuff. Um, but, yeah, the jousting, I mean, right? And getting, you know, getting armor, that whole thing is just, yeah. It's a, yeah, well, I mean, you can't you can't really take sword and dagger from, I, I know that some people are not going to like this, but I feel like with Mancilino and Morazzo, sword and dagger is still a relatively new thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, it's, it's a little the, bit like, you don't want to do this, but if you're but dumb if enough you, to end up in this situation, you do this. Exactly. So they, they almost treat it like we're going to, we're going to kind of give you these few things. And even the way that, that Mitch or like Morazzo teaches it, I think he even says something that's kind of ambiguous. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just essentially like making this up. <laughs> 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 Which you know is probably the most honest thing I think that I've ever said. Dude. Oh <laughs> but, my god. Let me see oh, if I can find so it here. Because this, this is pretty hilarious. He he says something like uh, uh I'll have to. I'll, I'll see if I can uh, pull it out here. But either way, yeah, he sa- he says something that ridiculous along the lines of, you know, I'm just I'm I'm essentially making this stuff up. So yeah, um, I I only find Dalagokia sword and dagger helpful because it, if you need to go against somebody with, that's doing rapier and dagger, <laughs> I don't think Morosa is really going to work. It's really much more uh, no based on the idea that you're going to do something to their sword and they're going to respond by cutting. Yep. And Dalagokia is going to work better if you do something to their sword and they're going to respond with a disengage and a thrust. That's- yep, totally agree. I, I also, Moranzo works a lot better if you're actually using a Bolognese dagger that's like 18 inches long. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, sword, and sword that you want to cut somebody with. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's almost like a two sword system rather than like, you know, yeah. a, a true sword and dagger system. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, what, what do you think is your, if you had to, Give me one. Uh, what do you think is your favorite weapon system or combination? Oh, sword and small buckler, without a doubt. Manchelino sword and small buckler is the best thing in Bolognese swordsmanship, in my opinion. Uh, so sword and small buckler has the has an advantage over everything else that we study, is that it's designed for fencing, not for fighting with a sharp sword. It's the only thing that we have that we can actually reliably duplicate because i don't no matter what we play at there's nothing that's going to compare there's no way to simulate the fear that a sharp pointed piece of steel staring at your eye or staring at your stomach is going to do to your fencing just like you can't compare paintball to like modern warfare even though theoretically they're the same thing it's just the sensory overload is the dominant factor in a in a fight in a a real fight in my opinion but with manchelino's uh, or morozzo's uh or the anonymous sword and small buckler material we can actually do that we can replicate their equipment and we can go out and whack each other with the foils or something like the foils that they would have used and really psychologically get at what they were doing and really fence at what they were doing. And, and I'm really excited by that prospect. Uh, 
Uh, when I get to do it with people who are really good, it it's a lot like you'd expect. Like it's a lot of stuff at the very limited distance because you you're trying not to get a black eye or you know a, a, a orbital fracture or something like that. And or uh, concussion. Or a concussion, right? So it's it's fast, but at a very distance, big distance, or you're you're trying to get into the mezzo spada to the jokofretto mm -hmm. binding and then doing some action from there. Um, so I, I, by, by far, that's my favorite thing. What about you? Ooh, uh, you know, so last to start the lockdown, uh, we started doing two sword and Ooh, yeah. mm -hmm. I have, I really have fallen in love with two sword. I know it's, yeah. it's like, such a hollywood kind of thing but at the same time it's not you know it's it is yeah, a bullet yeah, thing and i just i it's my favorite thing to do mostly because for individual practice um it's i mean you can't beat it right you've got two swords you're out there you're going through these really complex actions the footwork is incredibly dynamic um because yeah. you're constantly going back and forth it, it's like doing the anonymous with two swords because of the footwork, I mean, because you're so back and forth, you know, you're constantly working from left to right. Um, but I, I do, I don't know. I'm I'm, I, I fight well with sword and buckler. I've, I've competed well with sword and buckler. So I enjoy sword and buckler a lot. And I, I like the material. Um, but single sword has always been my favorite. And I really? think that's, yeah, I think that's one of the things that really, really caught me with, like wanting to get into the anonymo was just like there's so much material like i've already maxed <laughs> yeah. out yeah. i've already maxed out everything from Razzo and manchilino and dalagoke you know i mean getting into his material was good there's um but at the same time like i was like wow now i have like i've got this broad new world that's going to take me a really long time to study and really get into and i love it totally yeah and it really like his plays are such that you can really it flows Right. Yeah. Goki is just, he does this, you do this, you do this, you know, the, there's plays that are almost a whole page long of just constant flowing actions, which are just amazing. Yeah. Cause yeah. It, it gives you, you know, I mean, it, it highlights the, the progression of the fight too, you know, especially right. like, like you were saying earlier with that first play, I mean, you get everything like, yeah. I mean, from start to finish wide play actions or at least i mean you don't really do any wide play actions in that one but you know approaching like coming in finding your opponent's sword they go to wide play but then you press i guess you do you, yeah you do you use wide play right because when they step back i guess that that falso and uh mandrito um am i think of that no it's a falso and a reverso um puts you in a position where i mean that's kind of a wide play action right like you're almost like beating their sword and then kind well, of going okay. hand as they pull back turn it into wide play action so the anonymous says if they're fighting wide play you fight wide play yeah but really it says actually you want to pretend you're fighting in the narrow play and then go to the wide play but we don't need to get to that comp level of complication so you just yeah. you make that falso and mandrito and you just make that mandrito instead of it being the chingiara porta di ferro stretta you just pull that thing down to chingiara porta di ferro larga and then flow through into the wide play just without a hitch yeah that's a great point yeah um yeah so i think yeah single sword I've, I've always really liked single sword and i think that's also sort of something that i can attribute to elka because those are the first forms that i learned were all yeah. single sword forms yeah i mean there's there's something pure about it. it's really easy to pick up too yeah definitely 
Um, so what are some of the challenges that you faced and uh, in terms of creating your interpretations and everything like that? And uh, how have you overcome them? So I think, you know, probably the biggest challenge I faced uh, was that I had never done martial arts before. Uh, I was in a group that was a Meyer group. Uh, there was nobody around really that did bull and a swordsmanship that I could talk to. Uh, and, um, I sort of had to figure out how to do Bolognese swordsmanship on my own and I had to figure out how to make it work for me. So I was 40 when I started. So I was pretty sure I was not going to be a great fencer based on physical gifts. That was just, so I had to figure out how, how do you, you know, you study and practice and book knowledge to get good at at using the sword. Um, but I also think that gave me a great opportunity. Um, so I've, I've, I believe I've seen people who have other backgrounds come into Bolognese swordsmanship and just have natural biases from that experience. Um, you know, just like I've, I've had people that are like, you don't ever cross your legs when you're doing martial arts. I'm like, well, I don't know. The book says you step across. It works really well when you're trying to stab somebody and you're trying to sneak that point into them. Um, yep. You know, there's a, just a lot of rules like that. Um, a lot of like what people would consider a parry just doesn't work for me. Uh, mm -hmm. It's way too big. Um, so, you know, in that sense, there wasn't anybody to discourage me or guide me kind of in an established channel. So I, I was sort of kind of free to hopefully just come up with a uniquely Bolognese perspective. That was kind of my, that was sort of my goal and my challenge. And, and then also now you had a, you ha had a teacher already, but I was kind of creating a program and I sort of had to be able to demonstrate to my students that I could beat them. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or else the class is going to get like, you know, hijacked and, you know, I, I had to be able to do it in a way that didn't hurt them, even if they were reckless towards me, because when you're starting out, that's just what you have to do. I felt. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I, I think it helped me get a, a perspective that I, I like now, which is like, I don't depend on other people to keep my hands safe. I don't depend on other people to keep me safe. Um, you know, there, there's just look for ways of interpreting the material that, you know, will work against somebody who does not have your best interests in mind. Yeah, no, I think that's, you, oh, my challenges for interpretations. Well, I want to, I want to make one quick point here. Um, the fact that you started with Meyer, you know, some people would make the uh, hearty argument that you technically started with the Bolognese. <laughs> yeah, Giacomo de Basso. <laughs> <laughs> the last of the Bolognese authors. That's right. <laughs> he traveled far and wide, just like Lichtenauer. I think they all learned their fencing from Italy. That's my that's my uh, pet theory. Everything good in Europe then was pretty much coming out of Italy. I mean, that's why they kept coming down into Italy, right? I mean, <laughs> the Germans couldn't stay out. No. no. Yeah, I think some of the biggest challenges that I faced. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I've I've always had. I've always had a great teacher, uh, and, and Chris Nolan. And like you said, I mean, you know, I was, I was fortunate to have somebody who was there to kind of help guide me along the way. Um, I don't, you know, I think 
understanding the terminology, okay. really taking taking a step back uh, when I first like getting into the text because it, it was easy to early on to find a lot of information for KDF stuff. So I learned the language of KDF pretty quick. You learn what a, a Zornhow is or a, right. a Sferkow and stuff like that. But because there was a lot more limited information for the Bolognese, I wanted to get into the text, but it was confusing, you know? And so I, I really like sat myself down and I learned all the guards and the cuts and what they mean. I mean, there's still obviously some things when it comes to certain interpretations, like, you know, what is a falso impuntanto? We can argue about that forever. Like, the stabby falso. Yeah, I mean, forever. Like, Dude, so it's many... a shield how. Come on. We know yeah. what it is. It's a shield how. I agree. I, well, yeah, to some degree. <laughs> to some degree. It's, it's either a yeah. shield how or it's a thing where you're throwing a cut and you poke them with the Sort point. of. Yeah, like let it kind of hook around. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those. It's it's it can be both of those. It's a term that means both of those, and you have to figure out from the context which one. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, you got to hand it to the Germans, man, for blade on blade interactions, especially Meyer. They're they're really good. That's true, and and it's a very German approach, right? That everything is this is what it is. Like you have to set everything in its own little basket. Where the Italians yeah. are like, eh, you know, we're gonna yeah. spill these baskets out because yeah, we're dude. yeah, we're just gonna enjoy this. Right. <laughs> So yeah, I think those are some of the, the things that I found. Um, you know, every once in a while you'll you'll stumble across something. And you're like, man, I really want to try to figure this out. All right. So um, with that, and with your extensive knowledge of the anonymal, how do you view the Bolognese uh, material in context or comparison of other sources or traditions? Okay. Uh, well, so I would have to. I. I don't know all the other traditions. I, I spent years doing Meyer, so I've got some familiarity with this. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, a lot of Bolognese comes down to the three types of fight. Gioco largo, gioco stretto, mezzo spada. And all of them need to be conducted differently. Uh, we can start with the gioco largo, just because, you know, it's the wide one. Uh, again, like I was saying, studying the Anonymo, when you look at the Anonymo, if you're doing Joko Largo stuff, it's usually going to be a cut to their hand or to their arm that starts the action. Um, the next thing you really have to look at uh, when you're doing Anonymo is there's, that I have found useful, is you have to think about whether your sword is still moving as it enters the guard where it's going when you are responding to your opponent or whether it has reached the guard and has stopped. And you will need to do different actions depending upon whether you're going to be flowing through the guard or whether you're coming to the guard, stopping, and then responding, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think, one of the things that shows up there. Uh, another thing that I found helpful is when you're making your strikes in Joko Largo, uh, you have to ask yourself: um, Is the path of my, has the path of my blade been interrupted by my opponent or by my opponent's sword? And my subsequent action is going to be based on utilizing the momentum of that clash to keep the sword moving. Because to make Joko Largo work, you have to keep the momentum going on the sword, or else it's too slow, hmm. right? So. 
Um, that's why, you know, I, I did a little project I called mining where I just went through and looked at like, what is every single action from Porta di Ferro Larga? What is every single action from Cinghiata Porta di Ferro Larga? And there was like, I don't know, 20, 25 different actions that you can take just from Porta di Ferro Larga. And I think there is a unique situation that calls for each one of them. We, it's up to us as interpreters to find out which uh, what is the optimal condition for using each one of those? And then I think that applies not just in the Anonimo, but that applies again across everything, across Manchelino, across uh, Marozzo. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, we were just talking about how the Anonimo and Manchelino relate so well. Um, there's a Manchelino's advice on what to do from wide play is to never, ever, ever <laughs> let your opponent stop you. Um, right. From, let your sword stuck in Metta Spada, which is exactly, exactly yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's what he says. says. Yeah. Right. If you're and in Metta, if you have to cut yep. through, right? So yeah, exactly. If they're, if they're gonna stop your blow, you just cut through the middle of their sword down, and then pass back and try to strike their hand as they come in. Like that's yeah. that's just the that's the flow. Um, so then you can also use that to transition or, you know, that's, that's a lot of the Joko Largo stuff. The bread and butter of Bolognese swordsmanship to me though, is the Joko Stretto material, right? And that's, that arises from Joko Largo where Joko Largo is used as an invitation to draw the attack and instead of responding to the, you know, uh, the follow-up attack with uh, a Joko Largo action, we come in with a parry, a thrust of some kind. And that mm -hmm. forces our opponent to start turning our sword for us. And that we turn into the cut that's what we're actually going to be using to strike them. To me, that's really the hallmark of uh, all Bolognese swordsmanship is to, I call it find, flow, flee. So you find their sword. You have that little window where you act. You flow from whatever happens with those swords, what that gives you to strike them. And then you remove yourself before they can respond. Um, and so I think you'll, you'll see that, especially in the sword and buckler material in Morozzo. Uh, mm -hmm. He likes to use a lot of, uh, you know, draw the attack, and then he responds with a, a thrust on the outside line uh, that forces them to, uh, to rotate your sword to the left so that it just naturally wants to Tramazzoni, and then you just flow into that Tramazzoni, and then you get out, right? Yep. And then there's the Mezza Spada, which is what really becomes fun, which is uh, where your swords cross, and then the things that you do to their sword or that they try to do to your sword um, in order to strike. So, and then I think in the Mezza Spada, it's not about switching lines, it's about opening the line with some sort of blade action, because there's, there's no time anymore for cutting around, there's no time for disengages, like... It, you have to act on that line. And so the for hallmark for me is for Bolognese swordsmanship is to know what you're in and then act according. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because I, I, I see, I feel like in some ways there is a really great misunderstanding. I think that the Bolognese authors lay out this really beautiful progression of how the fight is supposed to be laid out. And, you know, yeah. anecdotally, you can pull it out of Marazzo. 
systemically it's 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 really kind of laid out in Manchilino and Marazzo. And I think that some people who practice like KDF kind of miss that. And they a lot of times will end up with this sort of two rams colliding, you know, and just going straight oh, to Strata. This, that, that, that's KDF in a nutshell. I throw Zornhow to your Zornhow. Now we're binding and we're either wrestling <laughs> or I'm trying to wind and then we're wrestling. I mean, it's- I know, but the thing is like, there is, there's a similar progression that's laid out, right? Like you have yeah, yeah. the Zufectin, which is where you're watching what guard yeah. your opponent is in, which is the right. same advice the, the Bolognese authors give yeah. us. And then from there, you enter into, um, you know, the the creek, which is the fight. And that's kind of like the, that's almost, the flow. yeah, the, the flow, it's, it's that middle portion there. Um, and then you get into your more like your closer actions. And that's where you kind of get it like deeper into the plays. And I, I feel like there's, it's almost like there's a chapter missing from KDF, like that beginning chapter of, of how this all comes together. I think that's one of the things that the Bolognese authors really give us is that beginning chapter and, and the entirety of a fight. Um, right. How to approach it with a mental map uh, so that we can be like cued as to what we need to do. But, you know, yeah. Bologna just had that advantage of people coming from everywhere and really having the smartest people in all of Europe there. Yeah. Well, yeah, even like the fleeing part too. Um, just kind of thinking about like, you know, the fight doesn't end after I hit this guy. I was a, a friend of mine was had sent me this video because they had listened to a, a Joe Rogan podcast earlier in the week. And they sent me this video from something that they had talked about in this podcast. And it was a video of this, this guy who's Swiss and they're essentially pushing swords through this guy's body. And he's he's living and and so what he would do is he would actually have people like randomly push swords through his body like full like piercing his body all the way through like a mutant or something i know and, and the thing is like since it's the 40s they they had x-ray technology and stuff and they're like he's like he has these doctors nearby and these doctors are like okay well maybe there's a trick here but turns out that it wasn't a trick and so they, they even put him in an x-ray and show that like he actually had a sword that was going through his lung and what? I know it's it's the craziest thing. And and That's this guy was like, I know. Heard, so, but I was I was sitting there and I'm watching this. I'm like, actually, you know, this is pretty useful because you think about a thrust, right? And right? if you stab somebody through the body, and you don't hit a vital organ that literally just puts them down or like yeah. collapse their diaphragm or whatever, there's a really good chance that they're going to come back at you. Like right. you have to be prepared for that, you know. And right. Like Palladini gives you advice not to go more than four fingers at, with a thrust through somebody's body. We see this really bad habit where people will hit and then sit and measure. And then they won't get out of measure. They'll just kind of right. like stay. It's like they get the contact or I know right. that we kind of have to thrust to a flex, but you know, they're putting themselves in these positions where they're not, they're not actually getting away. And that's the other thing that I think the, the bullying system really gives us is that you know, we do get that that sense of fleeing, or how, this is how you cover as you're coming out. This is you, right. you know, you cut a Mandrito traversado or whatever it is. Just because you can hit somebody doesn't mean that you should, because if you can't get away afterwards, that hit is meaningless. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a huge part of the Bolognese thing, which is, you know, it's mostly like, don't get killed. I'm like, so what? You can hit somebody. Can they, if they can't, if they can still hit you back, I mean, we have it in the Bolognese rules, like, it does you no good. They can hit you back. You did nothing. 
So I think that's another big part of the bolognese. You know, one other thing I was going to mention that uh, is different is it's not symmetrical. That the the placement of the sword moves to a sideways position uh, when it goes on to the you know into Cotalunga, and the body turns into a different position when the sword is on the right side of the body versus when it's in the center or on the left side of the body. And that gives us different dynamics for striking and parrying than I've seen in anything else yet. Except for Degrassi, I think, who has a sideways guard at, at about shoulder height, kind of like the Cotalunga Alta of the Anonimo Bolognese, I believe. Yeah, it, it, it means, like, to me, I think this is something that I've really been exploring a lot lately. Um, and one thing that I think Manchilino single sword stuff is really good for is thinking about the guards in terms of how they power the hips and yeah. how your hips relate to those actions. Absolutely. And it's like you don't use the sword so much to defend yourself. You turn your body behind your sword's position mm -hmm. and step. And that's what actually uh, – that's how you shield yourself. Because once you move your sword, every movement of the sword gives your opponent a, a response. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and the, like the discordant positions that we get, if you think about them, they're super powerful. Like, think about the like Chingiari Portadafero. Yeah, like yeah, Chingiari Portadafero as a defensive. <laughs> yeah. Hey, weren't you? Are you? Are you guys? Are you guys still? Uh, I know that you had posted something on the uh, Delagoke group about you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we got that in our motto. We got pork. I think it's Armato Porcus or something like that. I have to. I love I, it. I'm not the official logo maker. I just. <laughs> I just really wanted to have the word porcus in there, you know. I'd love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we got a, one of our mascots, or our official mascot is a big old, you know, boar. Um, so, hey, you know. It's the, all about uh, attacking from the side, man. Once you know pig power, it's like you it's, can never go back, you know. I know, I know. I mean, I think that's why Manchilino goes back into Chingiari Portadafero so much. Yeah. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm just, I'm. It's like you're loading the pig. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, if I go against a good fencer, it's one of my favorite moves is to go in there, thrust, and draw like uh, their parry and repost, right? They're like, oh, he made a stupid attack. Just so I can get back into the pig, you know, step back and try to hit them in the hand, the <laughs> yeah. pig, which is where I wanted to be in the first place, right? Because, yep. you know, the pig, man, it's just awesome. I know. It's it's so good. It, it has so many great defensive qualities and... You know, it, it opens, really it unlocks all the offense, which is, yeah, and you know, it just all your trouble is on one side. So you just, yeah. you just go that way. The moment their sword leaves, boom, you're over there and you're just driving your sword into them before they even know what happens. I mean, it's just, I power the pig. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. So what is, uh, what's something that you think that uh, we as a community can improve upon to better reflect the sources in our fencing? All right. I'll tell you what, the, the most important thing that anybody out there, in my opinion, can do to better reflect the sources is to get onto an airplane and come to a Bolognese event where we can actually uh, show each other what we're doing rather than trying to describe it like with words or at best video. I mean, you can do in 10 seconds, you can demonstrate five minutes worth of video stuff, you know, and we really need to get together. Um, also, uh, I think would be great would be to ditch fencing masks. Um, I think that a lot of bad fencing arises from fencing masks. 
because you know it, it really doesn't get hurt to get hit by a sword and so people do some pretty dumb stuff uh, because their their head is actually when you're fencing the best protected part of your body and that's the part of your body that you're going to want to protect the most um, so my goal as a practitioner is to get good enough so that i can fence safely with other advanced people without wearing masks in the historic what i perceive to be the historical fashion um so i don't know if you ever saw the video but there was this killer demonstration at the bolognese event in 2018 i mean just amazing demonstration of fencing with the two with two swords uh it was devin borman and uh i think mateus yeah one of his students mateus they did this just amazing like three-quarter speed uh, fencing without fence without mats without gear or anything it was just incredible and that's the, i think the kind of fencing uh i i want to see that we can do i think uh, what we have now is this weird sort of hybrid throwing really strong cuts where we wear lots of protection and things just kind of happen at random and um you know it's just it's just part of the development but that uh, the, I want to see us move to a direction where we're fencing in the historical fashion. Um, so that I think are probably the two biggest things um, that we can do. Um, also, when uh, this is what I want to start doing and coming up with demonstration videos, and I, I want to see other people do demonstration videos. I want to see people doing things more with pain in the ass fencers. Um, I feel like I watch a lot of videos with people being very cooperative and I don't really find that uh, in where I am fencing and in, in my little neck of the HEMA world. Um, people generally are not going to stand still and make a nice parry so that I can cut around. I mean, maybe they'll do that once and then they'll be like, oh, that's a terrible idea. They'll just yeah. be like, forget it. I'm just going to attack him and see what happens, right? Like, I'm just exactly. backing away and I'm still backing away and maybe he'll fall or make some dumb mistake and I can jump in and and, and jump on that. And I really want to see that because I, I really think at the end of the day, HEMA is about hitting people in the head. And I think, um, and Bolognese swordsmanship is about hitting people and getting away and uh, want to see the techniques uh, come forth that are going to be the best at hitting people and getting away safely. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting because, um, and I, I want to talk more about the event in just a second, but yeah. uh, to that point, um, you know, it, it feels like a lot of times that is the biggest problem with I, that I've seen with people coming up with interpretations. Um, and that's one of the things, I mean, it, it's easy to come up with interpretations in the vacuum of just reading the text, right? but doing the, actually doing the technique and, and sparring and in free flow with an out of cooperative opponent is right. a totally different animal. I mean, a, one of the, I think one of the coolest fights that I ever saw, uh, you know, uh, Pike Poland on yeah. the uh, Delegate group and Chris yeah, Noel, sure. right? Yeah, uh, my in instructor. Person. Yeah. Um, so those two were fighting at Lord Baltimore's challenge in 2019, and it was a quarterfinal match um, for Sword and Buckler. 
And it was one of the coolest things that I have ever seen because it was literally like watching Marazzo in motion. Like both oh, of them, oh, both so of cool. them are so knowledgeable of like the sword and buckler traditions that it was just like, it was incredible because all those things that you want to see from like bull and ace fencing, they were actually like doing right because they knew the responses, they knew kind of where the technique was headed. Right. And so you, you got this, these just long passages of like actual text getting played out. And it was the coolest thing that I've ever seen. Oh, like dude, I was, yeah. And it was crazy. Cause like everybody else in the gym at that point um, was pretty much exhausted and they were all resting up for like the next thing, which I think was like rapier or something like that. So they were all kind of like off or maybe had run into lunch or something like that. So I was literally just me and then the judges and then the person that was running the ring watching this fight. And I'm like, where did, you guys just yeah, missed like go, the most the beautiful fight, thing dude. that you oh man i wish oh. i would have recorded it It was incredible yeah um, that's the stuff i love to see I, my favorite fight i ever did was with a guy who was like three minute dusak bout and neither one of us got a single touch the whole time oh that's incredible yeah right we're both exhausted at the end like yeah 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 but I, but that's what i i think that um there's yeah that i think that that stems from the idea of of working with people who are non-cooperative. I mean, from, in order to really get the techniques to work, you, I mean, that's, that's kind of the purpose of tournaments, right? That's kind of, right. if you think about um, the, the triangle, um, that is sort of like one of the core foundations of HEMA between like test cutting, sparring, and then, um, you know, I guess just uh, like general practice. Um, and for the Bolognese, you know, we have an extra, you could almost say it's like a square because we have the forms themselves where we can actually develop our martial body and like right. develop those sorts of things. But sparring in, in tournaments, it's, it's hard to go in because everybody wants to go in to win. But if you actually go in to pressure test your techniques against an uncooperative opponent, then it's great. Like the other day I was fighting one of my students and like I said, I was, I've just been, uh, sort of getting back into the anonymo and i was working i was uh he kept giving me this one opening and and essentially like doing his falsetta where i was on the outside and i was like all right if you're going to keep doing that then i'm going to go with that anonymo play where i just beat your sword down and stab you and the thing is is like it, it was working i was stabbing him every time but he kept getting this falsehood to my hand and i was like what am i doing wrong so i went back to the text and i realized that the thing that i was doing wrong is the anonymous says that you turn your hand all the way up right and that would have prevented the falso and i had totally forgotten that i can't wait to fight him again because i'm gonna i'm gonna stab him cleanly yeah. next time yeah. <laughs> so satisfying is like researching the technique and then nailing somebody perfectly with Oh man, that is the best. That is the best. Get somebody without a book technique is just not satisfying, right? You know. It's yeah. Like, oh, you know, it's like I. I think one of the first times I ever like really got a technique to work, um, I was fighting in a tournament called Study and Steel in uh, South Carolina, um, and Jason Barons was there, and I he was in my pool, and uh, the old like Kima president. And uh, I didn't, I didn't know who he was at the time, but I was fighting him and I ended up doing uh Marazzo, we were fighting two handed sword and I ended up getting him with Marazzo's uh, third tech, uh, like the third technique from the, uh, um, 
the first assault where you go for the leg cut you get the falso to his sword because he, he came into me sword and presence and so i just cleared his sword of the falso and then ended up cutting to his leg and that was one of the first times because i had just really kind of studied started studying marazzo's two-handed sword at the time and i was like oh i got it and then they called it flat <laughs> i know I know it wasn't uh, flat. I would. Satisfaction of knowing you did a book technique at the right time. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. It was like I got that, man. Yeah, I, mean, I remember seeing this thing that was like you know about Buddha loops and, and fencing and like you know you yeah. don't have time to she iterate through a bunch of different choices. Like you need to have a martial program that you just execute because all your attention really is like on time and distance and all that stuff. You, you know, the the program has to be fairly automatic. And so that's, I really like um, interpretations that kind of work along that lines, like, uh, you know, stimulus response. And there's, that's kind of what I do with my students. Just there's one stimulus, you know, there's, there's a stimulus and there's one response to it. And you have to execute that one response perfectly. Because that's the only way that I've ever found that really works for clean fencing. Yeah, I, I think that's, it is important. Um, and the, I think that's, again, going back to the anonymous, something that I think is really beautiful is that when you have that much, you know, complexity and, and 400 plays, you can actually really start to see what the different responses are. Like, I, I, it's not categorized well, um, and, and we could categorize it better, um, yeah. but it's it's not as coherent as i mean in some parts it is right like his his ports of pharaoh section that he gives from like 16 to 7 i guess it's play 16 and 17 like but yeah i mean it's an opening section everything before like you know in the name of god or something like that that's just sort of an opening chapter yeah everything in there in Porta di Ferro strata is works 100 percent. yeah i mean they're great techniques yeah but uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, there's there's definitely something concise that I think we can pull out of it. And I think that's, that's important. Absolutely. But, that, that is the big challenge of studying the, uh, the Anonimo Bolognese is turning those, the data contained within those 450 plays into uh, drills that you can teach and drill and then perfect. You know, because if, if, you, if you assume that it takes about a thousand repetitions at least before you can really start to do something uh, under pressure, yeah, it helps to figure those things out as soon as possible. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I, I and so, but I, that, that kind of brings me back to wanting to talk about the event. So, yeah. I mean, one of the yeah, best things that. that we one of the best things that we can do is get together and fence with each other. And especially if we do some non-cooperative, very Bolognese focused fencing. Um, so what do you have in mind? What are you thinking? All right. So this is what I've got going on right now. So I've been working with Devin Borman uh, at Academy Duello uh, to put together a, a Bolognese sword event in Vancouver during 2022. Uh, as I mentioned on the Facebook group, uh, that's going to be the 500th anniversary, give or take, of Manchelino's publication of the Opera Nova. And awesome. So it seems like just, just the best time uh, to start uh, a, a 
bolognese events in North America. Um, the programming is still kind of up, you know, up in the air. I think the the big push is we're going to want to make sure that Devin Borman is teaching a class or two or as many as he wants. And Rob Rutherford hopefully will be there. Uh, but really the details haven't worked out. Um, right now, the idea is that it's going to be the primary audience is going to be for uh, experienced practitioners. So this is going to be people who already know how to stand and guard, already know how to make the cuts, already know how to step to the side and step across line and do all the basics so that we, we don't have to spend a lot of time uh, doing that and instead can focus on, um, you know, really more high level type of thinking, high level types of techniques. Um, there's going to be probably multiple tracks. Uh, we're kind of looking at themes. Uh, one theme might be Manchelino versus the other author. So it might be like Manchelino's take on Porte de Ferrostrada versus the Anonymous take on Porte de Ferrostrada. You know, and that'd be like uh, your choice in those. Um, there's not going to be a tournament. Uh, it's going to be workshop based uh, with probably lots of time for free fencing. Uh, probably going to try to model it after the 2018 event, which was amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Thanks to the WMAW crew for putting that together. That was awesome. So that's kind of what we're thinking. Um, and then I'm hoping to do set up another one in 2023. Um, I'm hoping it'll be in Northern California, but you know I, I'm open. Uh, there's also a possibility of doing one in Texas, um, or maybe you guys want to do one in Carolina. You know, 2024, yeah, 2023, we could have the, the barbecue themed one. You know, Texas or Carolina, either hey. way, win. <laughs> Yeah, we could. We could definitely do that. I, I mean, yeah. we, we've got the, the space and the resources to do yeah. this one. So so we'd love my thinking is, you know, if there's a Bolognese community there, uh, then we go basically all Bolognese. If there's not in a location, if there's not a strong Bolognese community, then we go Bolognese versus whatever is dominant in the local environment or, you know, varying things in the local environment so that we can get enough people. Uh, but to mm -hmm. really make this viable, we're going to need like 30 people to come to a Bolognese event, get onto an airplane and travel to a Bolognese event every year. That's really what it's going to take to get it started. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Um, I'll be there. All right, I've, cool. I've, I've, I made a commitment. I, so, awesome. I mean, I, <laughs> Wait, you were I, well, not in the 2018 one there. I met Chris I, there, but I you wasn't there, you? you did. Yeah. I wish. And, and that's one of the biggest reasons why I, I will not miss another event like that. I've, yeah. I've done, I've done enough competitive tournaments now and I've done well enough for myself, I think to, to satisfy whatever ego or hopes of an ego that I had, I, I, I still want to compete. I mean, there's still certain tournaments that I love to compete in, but I don't really have to prove anything to myself anymore with tournaments. You know, I mean, I've, I've won lots of medals and I've done lots of, things and i've i've gone in and i've done you know i think the best compliment i ever got the last tournament that i well second to last tournament i fought in before you know COVID happened um somebody walked up to me and they're like man you fight just like the sources like you just you oh, have like this awesome, they were like man. i know yeah, and and that like, like i was like i know i was like man that that made me feel so good and and that's 
that's always what I've, I've tried to sort of put out there. But now, because the sort of competitive aspect of things don't necessarily have the same appeal, um, because I feel like I have sort of satisfied that aspect, I feel like now the thing that I really want to do for any event is I just want to learn. Yeah. And I want to learn from people who know. And I, I, I just, I have this insatiable desire to really just kind of get into the deeper parts. I mean, Devin is an amazing, amazing teacher. Uh, he's just an amazing martial artist. I mean, I've been taking. Oh, he's incredible. He's really, really, and a, just a fantastic teacher in person. It's, it's just been great. Yeah, I, I got a chance to. I mean, we did Lord Baltimore's challenge up in, um, in Maryland. Um, hopefully, they'll do that again. But. Um, you know, he, he taught a couple of classes there and it was just so eye opening. Um, and then, uh, I got to take another class from him again when we were down at Surfo, um, which is the Southeast Renaissance fencing open in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, man, the guy, every single time I take one of his classes, I just learned so much. I love it. Um, but that's, that's what I want. Maximizing your body. That's what I just, I love. Yeah. Because I had no martial arts background. I had no sense of how to use my body. And I've just learned so much from so much of just that is just like, what can your body do? How does your body work in such a way that you won't be injured if you do it 10,000 times? Yeah. And it, his tactical approach, too, I think is, is something that's really interesting. I'll have to try to get him on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pick uh, his brain. But yeah, so that'll be the big push. Uh, Want to get people out to an event every year. Cool. Uh, and so the idea is it's going to be a traveling event. Uh, just go to different places year by year. Uh, I was just thinking Northern California would be good because I know a couple people that are in town um, that do bolognese uh, for another event. So we might have it around then. Um, but, you know, I'm open, man. I, I just, cool. I've been wanting, I've been wanting to, this, to have a regular bolognese event. And I think think we have enough people now and enough momentum to make this happen yeah i agree i'm, I'm looking forward to it uh you'll have to keep us posted on the details yeah, um absolutely. are you gonna do you think that you're gonna start a website or anything like that for it or well, anything yeah, we'll that's all gonna the be... promote well you know I'm, i don't know i've never done an event before but i'm imagining i'll do some sort of promotional stuff for it i'll i'll probably uh liaise with the you know the bolognese people and let them know that we're having it answer questions and frankly i will probably bother people um, <laughs> yeah sometimes when you want things you just have to be annoying and that, yeah that's yeah absolutely goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah well i mean you have the persistence you work through every play of the anonymous yeah. bolognese it's yeah, just like absolutely. i mean you've got it and spades yeah, yeah. so that's just how it is sometimes you just gotta that's what you gotta do in course we've done we also have cyber morozzo right now which uh we're trying to put together as a series of online classes from different practitioners uh love for you or chris to uh you know shoot me something about something you'd like to teach maybe the two-handed sword stuff or the two-sword stuff or whatever Sure. Uh, I'd really like to see somebody with some KDF background and they demonstrate their take on Marozzo. Um, Cause I, you know, having done Meyer, there's a lot of blade type of blade interactions that I think are a lot are being inferred yeah. in Marozzo that are not necessarily uh, explicit like they would be in a German source, but are. I think, I think Pike is your guy there. Okay. Pike. Great. Yeah. His uh, he's got a, a, very expansive knowledge of the kdf system great 
Yeah. So, you know, if you just assume that somebody is going to stab you, if you make a mistake, it really forces you to correct your technique. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it always sucks when you get stabbed when you, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, mean, like, I do two swords, but I do two-handed sword stuff with people now. I just mostly try to stab them in the hands. Like, it's yeah. just, you know, if, you, if you're going to wave your sword around in front of me, it's just why do anything but stab people in the hands? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's one of, it's Murazzo's favorite technique. Doing yeah, the falso I mean, to the hands, yeah, it, it's I mean, that's, yeah, it's, that's it's seriously his there. favorite thing. All guards are formed with either your point at their hand, which is what you do if their point's offline, or your point towards uh, their shoulder if their point is in line, so that you can dominate their sword. I mean that, and then you build your body behind it. And so when people start waving their swords around, just stab them in the hands, and then that's you get to some real fencing. Yeah. So that's yeah. one of the things. Oh, oh yeah. I'd like to see. Um, yeah, so that's what I've got going. Um, I'd love to get more submissions on Cyber Moron, so I'm obviously going to do something from the Anonimo Bolognese. And, um, cool. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk to Chris and we'll, we'll get something together. But uh, right. I think that's a, probably a good place to wrap it up. Um, Steven, thank you so much yeah, uh, for awesome, coming man. on, man. So, it's I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, it's been... Uh, I, I've, I know that there's, like I said, wanting to learn is one of the things that is really driving me right now. And I know that we have such a wealth of, of people who are really passionate and dedicated about the Bolognese system. And I, I, I think that there's an opportunity to kind of get their voices out there and, and really kind of introduce them to the larger community. So that way they can kind of start getting some of the ideas that are going around. So. You know, really kind of hit on a point. I think the Bolognese swordsmanship draws in a special kind of person. Uh, somebody who's a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit more, you know, really wanting to work the sources out, a little bit more interested in the riddle of the historical fencing rather than just grabbing a sword and trying to whack people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, I agree. Yeah. I agree. All right. Well, thanks, right. Stephen. Um, Great talking to you, Joshua. Nice meeting yeah. you. And uh, I expect to hear something from you uh, about your Cyber Morozzo proposal. Perfect. All right. I'll, I'll put it together. Thanks. All right, See nice. you later. Bye. See you later. And that concludes episode number two of Learte dell'Arme, the Bolognese podcast. I want to thank Stephen Freitas again for coming on and talking to us about the Anonimo Bolognese and sharing his wisdom with us. That was an absolute riot. Stephen reached out to me after the podcast and wanted me to make the official announcement that the date has been set for the North American Bolognese event. It's going to be held on President's Day weekend, which should be February 19th through the 21st. Uh, 2022 in Vancouver, Canada. So if you live in the United States, go ahead and get your passports ready and your vaccinations up to date because those will be required for international travel, I imagine. Uh, so make sure you got all that stuff squared away. Next week's guest is going to be Eric Lowe, author of the fantastic book, The Use of Medieval Weaponry. Eric is the head instructor at Swordwind Historical Swordsmanship in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, he's a great friend and a fantastic person, and I really look forward to talking to him. Uh, thank you all for listening, and stay saucy, my friends. <laughs>